By listening to the Conscious Fertility Podcast, you agree to not use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician or healthcare provider for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Welcome to Conscious Fertility, the show that listens to all of your fertility questions so that you can move from fear and suffering to peace of mind and joy. My name is Lauren Brown. I'm a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine and a clinical hypnotherapist. I'm on a mission to explore all the paths to peak fertility and joyful living. It's time to learn how to be and receive so that you can create life on purpose. Today on the Conscious Fertility Podcast, we have Max Genslin with us, and he is a Hoffman process teacher and a coach. He's a senior teacher and trainer of the George Leonard and Michael Murphy's Integral Transformative Practice and George Leonard's Leonard Energy Training. He's also a coordinator of the Esalen Institute's Center for Theory and Research and the California State Certified Educational Specialist. And I got to share a little bit more about Max, and I'm excited to talk to him. And after learning about this Hoffman process, which we're going to learn more about today, I'm like, I got to have some of that. And so I'm really looking forward to it. I thought Max would be great if you can share a bit about your background and why we're talking today about consciousness and awakening, basically, because you have a story that really touched me that you were on a Greyhound bus back in December, 2004. And Correct. you had a you had a change in your life, and we're going to tie all this into consciousness and even fertility, because so many of the, our listeners that come to us, their wake up call is an infertility diagnosis. And I thought before we get into the Hoffman and the integral um, transformative practices that you're so familiar with, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you why am I interviewing you? And I think it comes from what happened on that Greyhound bus. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much, Lauren. I'll back up a little from the Greyhound bus and say that it was probably in the 90s. Uh, I was listening to a cassette tape by Franklin Quest. It was some personal growth cassette tape. And it asked the question, if there was an I-beam going across both towers of the World Trade Center, what would you be willing to walk across that I-beam for? And the answer that came to me was a career that I was happy with, essentially, because I was floundering a bit about what to do with my life at that time. And subsequent to that, I got a Bachelor of Science in Business, and I had started a career as a business consultant. And it seemed like I was off on my way to a successful career in corporate America. And I hit a wall where I was really dissatisfied with a job that I was at and a number of other things happened. There was some relationship things and, and I really was in what we might call a dark night of the soul when I found myself on that Greyhound bus. I had made the decision that I would take about three months off from work and then I assumed I would go and get another corporate job and I was really resistant. It was everything I could do to even force myself to send a resume and really not proactively following up or, or anything. And on this Greyhound bus, I was really going through it. I was really in a, well, dark night of the soul is, is a one way to put it. And I was, I don't know how I would put it at the time exactly, but I really was feeling like I had gifts. I had capacities. I had things that I wanted to bring to the world. And I was wondering why I wasn't demonstrating who I really was, or I just, I was feeling inauthentic, or I was feeling like I had something to give, and I wasn't connecting to it, and I wasn't bringing it to the world. And so I was asking myself, what is the difference between people who really bring their gifts to the world and, and find fertile soil for that to flower and people who don't? And I had already done at this point, a lot of personal growth kinds of work. I'd done a lot of therapy. I'd been to workshops. I'd done meditation. And I, in this Greyhound bus, I had sort of this opening where I thought about, I'll exaggerate a little bit, like, you know, in, in therapy, we might lie on the couch and stare at the ceiling and free associate about our problems. And if we don't have anything to complain about, our therapist doesn't have a lot to say to us. I'm exaggerating. Or, you know, in, in a personal growth workshop, it might be all about getting the high rise and getting the Audi and crushing it and having the right partner. And then life is all good. Or, you know, meditation might be like, just escape the whole hellhole, just wake up from the illusion of samsara 
and just open to your true nature. And I think there's truth in all of these things, but none of it was coming together for me really to, to connect me to something. And I, and I really was at a loss for what that something was or, or how I could come about it. And in that moment, I connected to this question of what is the difference between people who really connect to what I would say now is maybe the spark of the divine within them, that, that their genius, their gifts, and finding fertile soil for that in the world and people who don't. And I just had the realization that I want this to be my life's work. And it absolutely was not lost on me that I needed to be my own first client. And it was really kind of remarkable. After I had that moment, a number of things happened that were synchronicities, really, that led me towards a new path. I mean, my life kind of reorganized itself over the next couple of years. And a lot of that was people that I met that could help me. And I did the Hoffman process. I That experience was in December of 2004. And I basically decided I wanted to find or make something that coordinated all of these different disparate paths that I'd kind of gone down that felt like these different trails that I was going on in different directions. And so I was going to do a lot of research of like every personal growth thing in the world. And so the Hoffman process, I went to it as R&D, but I definitely came out of it changed forever. And um, I met people that connected me to Esalen, connected me to this therapeutic day school that I worked in. Uh, it was just a transformative time for me. And you know, when you describe these synchronicities, it's kind of like when people do conscious work or whatever process, yours, the Hoffman process, the Hoffman type of work, and you get aligned these things happen that really seem like miracles because I know a little bit about your story. Like some of the positions you got on paper, you're not supposed to get those positions, but yet things just lined up for you and you got hired over people that had more credentials for, than you, for example. Yes, that's true. I, um, for me, a lot of the synchronicities came with personal connections. Yeah. Uh, one, one example of something like that is when I was shifting from doing business consulting to wanting to do kind of more personal growth work, I asked someone who was a teacher of workshops at Esalen if they'd have lunch with me and do kind of an informational interview. And they agreed. And I asked them about me doing workshops at Esalen. And they said, oh, forget it. Like, if you don't have a best-selling book, they won't even look at you. They get all these proposals all the time. And that, by the way, that's not true. And um, I did actually wind up teaching a workshop and multiple workshops, but teaching at Esalen within the next, I don't know, year or two. And I told that story when I taught it. And it was because of meeting people, actually. It was meeting people that brought me in. So, yeah, I think part of what happens is when we really get clear on what we want, we our eyes open to things that we wouldn't see. We can walk past an opportunity and not see it if we're not, if our brains aren't absolutely what we're looking for. Yeah. So the, all the opportunities are there. I usually share when you do this kind of work, and we're going to get into what is this work. But when you do right. this work, I say one of two things happen. The first thing, when you really become aligned, authentic, tap into how you experience it, that divine spark inside yourself, your perception to the external world, your perception to the situation changes. So you experience it differently because you're different. Right. Or two, the outside world rearranges itself and you're like, I can't make this stuff up. Like, look what, <laughs> look what's happened. And you get these opportunities. The way you described your journey, like, you know, meditation, trying to find that peace and bliss, or you went to the, the retreat where you're like, rah, 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 I'm going to get my Ferrari, my special, yeah. like, it's, you sell, you just, thank you, you describe describing my journey, some of my journeys. You're just one of those early seekers, because in 2004, it sounds like part of you is waking up, wanting to be something different. And that's what puts you into the dark night of the soul, I imagine, where you're in conflict with your true essence, your authentic self, which I hope you talk on it. The reason I think it's so relevant you're talking with us today is there was individuals, lots, but individuals having this wake up and going on this quest. It seems like today when we're recording this in, in uh, spring of 2023, it seems like there's a collective awakening. Like I think humanity is pretty much in their dark night of the soul where we feel shame, guilt, not enough. We're just struggling. That's my sense. It's been my experience. I don't know how, how you feel about it. And I'm fortunate I have tools, but I'm curious if you kind of see that pretty much everybody's now being almost forced to find these tools and do the work that you found in 2004. I so resonate with what you said. I kind of feel like the history of humanity is a bit of this cliffhanger and it takes place both intrapersonally within ourselves and it takes place 
externally in the culture. And I think, you know, I'm very influenced by Michael Murphy, the founder of Esalen and his kind of philosophy that gave birth to Esalen, which is that the whole world is the divine waking up in form. A historian named Arthur Lovejoy said, evolution is the temporalization of the great chain of being, which what does that mean? The temporal. So just in a very kind of simple way, there's you can have rocks and minerals and above that evolutionarily, but also in the great chain of being, you might have plants above that. You might have life like animals, humans. And there's there's a lot of variations of these kind of hierarchies. And then above that, we might have spirits like consciousness without bodies or all the way up into whatever you want to call it, Brahman, God, the the divine, however we hold the metaphysics. But like we're we're in this progression. And in some ways, like it's easier to wake up than ever before. There's more tools, there's more consciousness, there's, you know, yoga studios, there's so much more awareness of the mind body connection, mind body medicine, alternatives, therapies, somatic therapies, all of these things. And yet, there's also just the public discourse is such a cesspool of, of pointing the finger of so much projection and vindictiveness and just this us and them, like this tribalism, like this really kind of primitive tribalism that we see in I, I would make the joke, we don't see movies where like Batman and Joker sit down and talk to each other about their childhood pain that drove their negative behavior and try to see it from the other person's point of view, you know, because that's that's not uh, entertaining. You know, what's entertaining is Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker. So I think that Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker, um, there was a period of time where I really actually had difficulty with pop culture because it was such this us and them mentality and, and really uh, healthy communication around difference is so rarely modeled like, or is virtually unmodeled in the culture. And I kind of came to this thing like the Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker dichotomy is actually happening inside of all of us. You know, if we want to use that, there's there's our own Darth Vader, our own Luke Skywalker. And often if we we overly identify with Luke Skywalker and we ignore certain things, that might even bring us to a dark night of the soul. We confront our own self-negation, that voice of like, you can't do it, that voice of you're not lovable. That voice of you need this thing outside of yourself to be okay. And I think that was unconsciously driving me. So just to bring this back to my own story, I think I was unconsciously driven by, I need to have the right job. I need to have the right apartment. I need to have the right partner, whatever it was for me to be okay, for me to be lovable. And I had this just really self-negating voice like talking to me. And I think that's part of what was driving me. And I think part of the clarity I came to in my dark night of the soul is how do I do this from a place of where do I bring my light? How do I do this from a place of what is the contribution I really want to make versus how do I not suck versus how do I how do I finally be good enough in the world? So to the bigger picture, I think we're waking up internally and we have more resources to wake up internally. And it's a bit of a cliffhanger. You know, are we going to wake up or, you know, there's also, you know, wars and environmental issues and polarizations of all kinds. And so this human adventure is is kind of a cliffhanger. And I think there's more opportunity than ever before. And there's also threats. And you mentioned these external threats of these polarizations. And you also mentioned we have the Darth Vader and Luke, the polarization inside ourselves. I'm curious because I, as I said, I learned a little bit about the Hoffman because of how you've transformed. I don't know how it works yet, but I'm, mm -hmm. I'm so curious because I love learning more tools, the better. Yes. In my work, my, I subscribe to the processes. If I want to see a change in the external world, I have to first have a change in my inner world. My consciousness has to change. And um, you talked about how you were chasing the way of the shame. I think you described it, right? Right, yes. Shame. And I've used that before as well. When people have shared in my profession, you're successful. When they've come to my presentations, I would say, I am successful because I'm so incredibly insecure. <laughs> because mm -hmm. it was, I was always an over tried to be an overachiever or excel because unconsciously I was trying to fill that void, that feeling of I'm not good enough, I'm not valuable if I wasn't producing. Right. Right. So yes. Now I I'm in a different place. And I think we resonate this way. And yes. so that's the question for you is I still do things, but I have a different beingness about me that intends the doing, right? Yeah. So, and so there's more joy with it. Can can you tell us a little bit of what the Hoffman is, but also just how I shared that idea 
Can you start to bring in your understanding of this? Because I can talk about it, but I want to hear, I'm here to learn from you. So I want to hear what you have to say about this. I would say there's like a resonance that happens when I am connected to, in the language of Hoffman, we use this uh, phrase, spiritual self. And it's, that's just you deeper than your conditioning, you deeper than your patterns, your programming, it's your essence, it's you connected to your wisdom, you connected to your resilience, your love, you know, that, that aspect of you. And I think when you can see the spirit in another person and just hold that person in whatever experience they're in, because I've been through my own dark nights of the soul, there's a resonance when I can hold this person and I can hold their dark Darth Vader and their Luke Skywalker. I can hold their shame and I can see them for this beautiful essence, this spirit. And I so want them to connect to that. And so there's just this uh, passion that I have when I'm connecting with people to have them connect to themselves, have them connect to their goodness, have them connect to how it is that they can hold themselves through this difficult human journey. The human journey is difficult. I think I'll just leave it at that. Like there are going to be ups and downs. Even when we do connect to our love and our light and all of that, I don't think we reach a point where we don't fall down and skin our knees. And it's how do we hold ourselves in that? And how do we move through that? And just that passion I have to like see people and have them feel seen and have them see themselves so that they can wake up to who they truly are, I think is is a... So where it's coming from in me is so different and it and not to say i'm being completely altruistic about it there's no better use of my life than this work so it's very much like i get to do me by helping you connect to who you are and i think that if we do that you know bob hoffman founder of the hoffman process said peace on earth one person at a time you know if we feel seen if we feel loved if we feel safe to be who we really are if we can love each other across differences and be synergistic like hold how do we come up with the solution that's not my way or your way but come up with something greater than either of us could have come up with ourselves and and open up to you know that which is most personal is most universal open up to love within us and and then the whole world advances like the whole world can wake up and that vision moves me and so that's the vision that gave rise to Esalen, you know, the evolutionary panentheism, the divine waking up in form. It's the whole picture and it's individual, involution and evolution. So our personal evolution and our collective evolution are indissolubly linked. And so there's there's kind of a worldview, a cosmology that lights me up. And I feel like my individual work is, is a note in that symphony. So that's a little bit about the collective and to just share the Hoffman process. I mean, I can talk a lot. I mean, I could. I got a question. I'm going to direct you because I got a question for you on this because what you said sounds great and beautiful. I don't know if I heard it from Gordon Neufeld where he says the greatest gift you can give a human being is to see them, hear them, love them, right? Let them know they're valued. I think it originated maybe from Virginia Satir, famous, I think that's her name, a psychologist. To do that though, there's a step, which I think you're going to talk about, to be present for somebody else, to see through the ego, to have mm-hmm. compassion, you have to be whole and complete. You have to have that compassion for yourself. You have to be able to see, hear yourself. If you are not attached, and I think I've heard you describe this, if you're in your false self, you're not mm-hmm. in your authentic self, which is where a lot of us are. And like you said, nobody, most of us go there here and there. But sure. if we look at the world, majority of us are there, it's difficult to have that utopia. However, there are tools to help you see you, hear you, love you, accept mm-hmm. yourself, connect. Yes. And then when you do, when you're connected, now you can hold the space for others. And that yes. stops the polarization. So how do you do it? How do you fill yourself up so you can hold space and be present and the other person can feel safe? And we know through Porges' work, I mean, there's a thing happening with the nervous system where the vagal nervous system where they will feel safe and and their body will start to behave differently. I'm curious to know, I like when I read Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now, I'm like, great, how? How to now? Right, yes. <laughs> so, so tell me a little bit more about your Hoffman process and how the tools and stuff can help you get to this place where you can hold the space for yourself and others. Yeah, I love that question. And one thing I'll say, like the word ego um, as a pejorative, I think is interesting. I think we do have a false self. I absolutely do believe we have a false self. And I also think we can um, maybe throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
Bottom. You don't think the ego's evil, nor do I, by the way. But a lot of people think it's a but ego is part of us. So you got to love right. the ego too. Yes, it keeps absolutely. us alive. It, it's intentions to keep us alive and safe. We have it. But I'm curious what you're going to share about the the ego part. So we construct a self. In Bob Hoffman, he has a phrase he coined the negative love syndrome, which is essentially it's a it's a process that he describes about how we take on this innate feeling of I need to fix myself, I need to become better. Like when we're little babies, when we're born, when a newborn human infant comes into the world, it's not like a flan or something that stands up within a day or whatever, a newborn human infant can't lift its own head or it can't roll over. It's a long time before we can feed ourselves or get our own blanket when we're cold. We're entirely dependent on outside care for not only our many physical needs, we also need a consistent flow of unconditional love, of touch, of nurturing, of mirroring, of feeling seen to feel safe and connected and in order to thrive. And many, I would say probably most, if not all of us, are born to parents with their own issues, their own patterns, um, their own unresolved maybe wounds from childhood. At the very least, they were new parents dealing with the challenges of work, relationships, money, running a household. Um, it's just the case that our, our parents aren't able to be there for us all the time. They're not able to always see us for who we really are and mirror our authenticity back to us. And I'm saying parents, the the situation in which we grew up in, it's not it, you know, other caregivers, etc. And when we're little, we're in an egocentric stage of development. We're incapable of the thought or the feeling that anything that's happening isn't about us. Like when we're really little, like even if we go to infancy, like we all we know is that we're cold or scared or wet or hungry or lonely. We don't have a sense of time. We don't know that this too shall pass. We're not thinking, oh, I'm sure mom's just got a few other things to do. I can't expect to be her only priority. We're not thinking, you know, that dad guy's got some issues, but shouldn't take it personally. It's not about me. You know, there is no, it's not about me. When we're in this little egocentric stage of development, and I'm saying thinking, I mean, this even happens before we have thought. We think, you know, something else is more important. I'm not enough, or I'm too much. I'm difficult. Like when we're little and our needs aren't being met, let alone if we're experiencing neglect or abuse or trauma, it feels like it's because of us. Like it feels like it's because of what we did or what we didn't do. And in a sense, that's adaptive because for one thing, to be that needy, to be that dependent and to recognize our parents as somehow incapable or compromised would be incredibly threatening. And at least if it's because of us, we can do something about it. Right? We can change, we can adapt, we can. So it's like, what do I have to do? You know, what do I have to do in this system in order to fit in, in order to belong, in order to be lovable, in order to get my needs met, right? So we, we in this environment, we, we construct like, who do I have to be? And it might be different in different families, you know, like you grow up in a Quaker family, you might learn that good people are pacifists. If you grow up in a military family, you might learn that real men, you know, it, it can be, it can vary, but we learn within a particular environment when we're really, really vulnerable, right? And, and so we take on the ways of being around us, we take on roles, we take on admonitions. This is what good people do. This is what bad people do. Starting really young, starting before we have an intellect, starting before we have a thought. So it feels really deep. You know, it feels really deep. And, and so we act these patterns out. We take them with us into adulthood. And, and we particularly act them out when we're feeling disconnected, when we're trying to be lovable, when we're trying to make connections. And so I think taking time to say, okay, what did I construct? What, what are my patterns? We use this language patterns in Hoffman. Like what, what did I take on? What are the admonitions I took on? What are the behaviors? What are the ways of being I took on so that we can look kind of objectively, we can create some distance from ourselves. You know, and I think this is what a lot of maybe therapy does, um, maybe not in this exact way, but, but like, okay, what did, who did I decide I had to be? And, and then disconnecting from that. So in Hoffman, we do a lot of work around awareness. What are my patterns? What are my ways of being that are getting in the way of me showing up fully? What are, you know, whatever it is, maybe it's behaviors, maybe it's ways of being, maybe I'm a perfectionist, maybe I need to rewrite an email five times. It, may, it might be something really silly, or it could be like 
other things, but we spend a lot of time talking about patterns and, and looking at this persona that we constructed, the false self that we constructed, what are the roles? I'm the joker. I'm the achiever. I'm the, you know, I can go on and on about this, but, but the rescuer, the fixer, <laughs> right? Exactly. The rescuer, the fixer. And then we create this false self and coming from the false self. And I think you were talking about this, even if we get the external things we want, it doesn't feel fulfilling. It's, it's, if we're coming from that false self, every Hoffman process, someone will say some version of, I crossed all the finish lines. I got the car. I have the high rise. I have the partner. And I still, I feel like a fraud. I still feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like if they saw who I really was, they wouldn't love me, right? Or I have to keep achieving, or this could get taken away from me. We're going to pause for a second on this because for our listeners, and this is what I've experienced with my patients on the treatment table, the story, every other story, and, and that's what we've seen, people who are worth hundreds of millions of dollars that have done everything, and they still, when you distill it down, no matter what on my table, I am not enough. Either I'm not rich enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, whatever it is, but there's something there. And I don't know how the fabric of this universe has been created, but it seems like that is part of our journey here is to remember we are enough, it seems like. Absolutely. And that really primitive, what do I have to do to be a good boy or a good girl? What do I have to do to be alone? Right? It's amazing to me, like the human, like the resilience, like I hear people telling horrifying stories of things that they've bounced back from. And I also hear people like little things that happened in childhood that they took to mean something about who they are, that's like crushing for them. And so to really actually recognize this, and to connect to our innate lovability to recognize that we took on these ideas, like, what do I have to do to be lovable? And we do these things, and we cross the finish lines. And it's actually, you know, there's a Hindu belief, Atman is Brahman, our own deepest subjectivity is one with the universal divine, like, let me just grab you're gonna grab the quote, I want to hear this. Is that what you're okay, so Atman is Brahman, this is as I understand it, I am by no stretch a Hindu scholar. Okay. But like, if I were to say, and by the way, this is not Hoffman now, um, but like if I were to say, like, I'm holding a pencil, and I can look at this pencil, there's a subject object relationship with this pencil. I am this the subject and this pencil is the object of my subjectivity. So okay, I have a subject object, then I could say, well, what about this hand, this hand is part of me. But if I were to cut my hand off, the me that I think of as me isn't in the hand, it's over here. Okay, so where am I? Is it my mind? Well, I can meditate for a while. And I can actually sit there and watch my thoughts like clouds in the sky. I can actually become quite separated and think, wow, that's a weird thought. You know, there, there's a judgment, there's a whatever. So there's a consciousness that's deeper than thought. Well, what is that? And looking at that consciousness. And if we back up at the deepest level, the consciousness that is staring through our face is one with the universal divine. So Atman is our own deepest subjectivity. Brahman is like the field of divinity in which everything is arising. So questions around this, and yes. this is okay, because our listeners who, if you are new, then this may be new, but if you've listened to other episodes, because we're 30 plus into this, and we have researchers, authors, you know, people really looking at this from a physics point of perspective, they describe it as there's a, a little C, big C, little consciousness, big consciousness. Right. I've heard higher self. What people are concluding or subscribing to is that this authentic self is something beyond your body. And is that what you're mm -hmm. describing as well? I would say it might be the, the consciousness that's looking through your face. Yes, it might be something beyond your body. You know, I think the metaphysics of it are, I have a particular metaphysics that I subscribe to, but I would also say that it is my belief that the human mind has not evolved to the point that we are able of to actually capture what is truly going on at the level of thought or concept. And I think the thoughts and concepts are helpful. They're super powerful. They're really helpful. And it's been interesting to me teaching the Hoffman process. I've had students that, that are Hindu. I've had students that are Christians. I've had students that are Buddhists. I've had students that are atheists. And they can all tap into this. There's something very humbling about there is something that is available to all of us. I remember I had one student, he's in finance, he's an atheist. And I said, all right, we're going to, you're going to hear the word spiritual about a thousand times. Just, you know, go with it. Like just however you hold it. And we have visualizations, you see your spiritual self and um, just have it be like Lord of the Rings picture, whatever you want to picture and, and just go with the visualizations. And he did, and he had a great process. 
And I had a conversation with him afterwards, and he had been listening a lot to a particular visualization of Hoffman's called Spirit Guided Path. And he was getting all this, this download of like this great information from doing this visualization. And he was just like, I don't know how this stuff works. I was like, yeah, I don't know. But, who but it, but it works. And that's what it works. That's what Dean Radin, um, who's written many books, published many papers. One of them is magic something. Can't remember the, mm -hmm. the title of his book, but he actually brought it up and he's a physicist talking that if you keep asking why, why, like, how does it work? How does it work? We have an answer, have it, but eventually you ask that question and then we don't know. We right. Don't know the mechanism, but we know it's working. And this thought and feeling idea, this intention seems to somehow impact the fabric of consciousness. Like the, it's not like I want, I get, but how you are on the inside and the work that you do, the resilience and the tools that I right. will share a bit somehow influences the fabric of this world. Because I said, one of two things happen. You're, you experience it differently. So it's just different because you, you're no longer at the effect of the situation. You can still not like something, but it doesn't trigger you. You're at peace. Right. Right. Or two is, and you've described this, and I've heard it said this way, it's like these invisible hands come down from the heaven and open up doors that you didn't know exist. These opportunities mm -hmm. are always there. Mm -hmm. Synchronicities start to show up. Is that resonating with you? Is that that? Yeah, that absolutely resonates. And you know, I think we can even think about this universe that we're in, like the Big Bang Theory. There was a singularity. There was this thing by some explanations. It was smaller than a proton that suddenly expanded at many times the speed of light and created a universe. And in this thing, the singularity that was smaller than a proton, this thing contained something that would become everything in the universe, that would become the Milky Way, that would become Leonardo da Vinci, that would become Tantra, that would become everything that is in the universe. And so that there was a potentiality in the singularity and we're all expanding and it was a unified like this little thing we were all part of it you and i or we'll say everything that would were to become you and i and all our hopes and fears and all of that was in this thing that that's in the universe that's something about the implicit nature of the universe that wants to expand and evolve into all the things that of life and the world like i think about just grass growing up between the cracks in the sidewalk just like the elen vital the desire the drive towards expression towards growth in everything and we have that within us like that drive that expression that is with that is within us that is within this incredible universe and so um, we can connect to that. And there's a zillion ways to look at this. And so the metaphysics are, are interesting. And I do love metaphysics. And I can talk metaphysics for hours. And there's more, there's way more that I don't, don't know than that I do. But yes, yes, there are forces at work. And we can tap into those forces. And that's that idea that we're much more powerful than we're probably aware of. As you said, we're not using a portion of our mind at this stage. It hasn't evolved yet. For our listeners, and we call this the Conscious Fertility Podcast, but at this point in time, we have so many listeners that are not trying to grow their families. They just like the material we're having here. So they're looking for better relationships. They're looking for healing or health. They're looking for a different job. They're looking to be happy. They're, mm -hmm. they're on the Greyhound bus. Yes. <laughs> and they're like, what's the difference between those that are connected and having a good life and those that are not? Right? They're mm -hmm. asking that question. Mm -hmm. So I kind of wanted to think about your approach to this because what i get asked a lot is what do i need to do and i've learned and the reason i wanted to create this podcast is we've really worked the human doing part and yeah just learning to be human beings and i think i've heard you talk about this too about being to doing and i just wanted to know if you can touch on this because you know, what do I need to do to, to have this baby? What do I need to do to have this relationship? And I think the work that you share and that you teach is about, it sounds counterintuitive, but it's actually, you don't do anything, but it's about being, or you're doing is to get into your beingness. Right. I, do I understand you that way? Because that's how, Absolutely. that's the sense I get. Absolutely. So actually in Hoffman, we do this little thing where we say, okay, go into the pattern of withdrawn, like, and actually let you, we have people do it. They actually go and they physically take it on, go into withdrawn. All right. Walk around the room, make a connection. All right. Go embody whatever exuberance, embody your spiritual self, embody joy. Right. And then, so you do the same exact exercise of like walking around the room from different places of being. So we just think like at a party, if you're being withdrawn, right? If your being is closed, if you're in, I'm not good enough, how are you going to connect versus I am 
in good enough. I am in self-love. I am in wholeness. I am in exuberance or whatever, not necessarily exuberance. Maybe it's grounded and settled. And then I connect from that. So that question of what am I doing? There's this whole admonition. I got to do all the right things so I can have all the right toys so I can finally be enough. And I often ask people like, okay, what is it that you think you would be? Who would you become? If I had the thing I want, I had the family I want. If I had the job I want, if I had all the toys, what do I imagine that would give me? Who do I imagine I would become? And then cultivate those qualities within you. And it's not, doesn't mean don't go get all the toys, but it's like cultivate those qualities within you. I would be joyful. I would be loving. I would be giving. I would be connected. I would become this kind of person. Okay. Affirm that kind of person for yourself right now. It's like create that person in you right now? Who would you become and come from that and then go get all the toys so that you're not one of these people that's like, I went to get all the toys in order to be enough. And now I'm still don't feel like I'm enough. And when you have that, when you become that person, then you get to enjoy the toys or you may not need the toy. You won't need the toys. So you're not saying you're not doing, I don't know what culture or religion is where you shun all materialism. You're saying that you can enjoy all these material things of the world and all these manifestations when you feel, I'm going to use the word whole and complete. You didn't use that word, but when you feel enough, you know? Yeah, that works. And I think what you, what happens is getting really clear on what the authentic reasons for wanting it are, then you can really go get the things that you want for the right reasons versus running out, trying to outrun your shame, trying to be good enough. You know, if like, if I get a boat, because I think if I have a boat, then I'll finally be good enough. I'll probably love getting the boat. I'll probably really enjoy it for about, you know, whatever. I'll exaggerate five minutes. And then I'll, and someday I'll be on that boat and I'll realize, wow, my shame is still here. My shame is still with me on the boat. The boat didn't. So it's like learning to come from the place of self-love, self-compassion. I'm good enough. Like unhooking from the past, really being fully present then I can fully enjoy the boat. Or maybe I, I don't actually, maybe the, if the boat was about, I need to be good enough and I'm actually good enough, maybe I don't need the boat. But if I get the boat, at least I'm getting the boat for authentic reasons because I love boating. When you have this deep desire and it becomes a neediness, a desperate neediness, I've observed that it creates resistance in exactly. the system. And resistance prevents receptivity and allowing. Exactly. tie this to the fertility podcast, we always say in Chinese medicine, receptivity is a big part of conceiving. And so you can't, you don't get to choose whether you want something like you want something you don't choose, but you can use tools to develop resilience, emotional resilience. And you can use tools. So you get to a place where yes, you want it, but you no longer desperately need it and Mm -hmm. want it without the desperation. So it's a desire Mm -hmm. without a need. Mm -hmm. Resistance is lowered and that's which contributes to allowing receptivity. Yes. I'm curious, what would your thoughts be then? You're talking about a boat, but a lot of couples that I see and the men that I see and the women that I see, like singles, they have this deep desire. They feel like they really need to have this baby. You talked, touched on this earlier, but I created it where they, where you talked about the child where they, you know, they don't feel enough, right? Like anything happens, if there's a divorce, somehow it's the kid's fault, right? right? And this idea of healing the planet is if we heal our hearts and minds and body, then we won't feel separate and we won't go and need to take from other people or attack other people. We'll be able to hold the space like you shared. Infertility is kind of your wake-up call and it brings you to this kind of work, a transformation practice, the right. stuff, stuff I'm doing in my practice. And you go from conscious fertility to conscious conception to conscious pregnancy, to conscious parenting. So these children are raised by conscious parents. I love that. And I believe this work does help the body on a physical level when you, the nervous system feels safe because of the tools that you share. And like, we don't understand, I don't understand the fabrics of this universe. So not everybody is going to have a baby that wants to have a baby. These tools though, get you to a place where you want the baby. And if you don't have the baby, you'll be disappointed, but you're still whole and complete. Yes. And that's 100% success, right? Nobody I see at the beginning can imagine that they would be okay without the baby. However, the process is either they get the baby and they have this awakening Mm -hmm. or they don't and they're disappointed, but they're not suffering, which is right. 
right? Pain, yeah. you know, there's pain and then pain without knowing is kind of like a form of suffering, right? Right. And so do you have anything to share? And we didn't give a chance yet. And maybe you can talk a little bit about what is the integral process, this Hoffman, the Hoffman work that you do, um, integral transformative practice. I'm curious what kind of things you could share and whether people want a boat, a new relationship, a new home, a new career, or they're looking to grow their family. Think of them as you share some of the ideas that you have here. And just because a lot of people are like, no, there's no way I will stop wanting this. Right. Mm, and, mm-hmm. and we're not saying stop wanting it, but I mm-hmm. think a lot of people's wanting is desperate need. Like we shared, not related to growing families, but we shared in our day, our life, we chased things because we thought it was going to make us happy. And it was a temporary uh, happiness. So it wasn't real love and joy. It was, mm. it was temporary. And we're looking for more of a, it's because it's our essence. That's why we feel this way versus the external thing is making us feel this way. We feel this way because we're loving, not that we need this to be loving. So I would love to hear more about your work, the Hoffman process or the transformative, integral transformative process and thinking of our listeners who are looking to become powerful as in connect to their authentic self. How yes. Looking for the how-to. Max, okay. That's what I'm asking for. <laughs> yes. So thank you. That I love what you just shared. I totally resonate with it. And I want to say, just to real, use a real simple example, I'm sure heard samples like this, but like if I am say, I need someone to like me or I'm not okay. And I approach that person from like a desperation for this person to like me. What is my chance of making an authentic connection with them versus if I'm okay with myself the way I am and I want to make a connection with this person and then I go and I I make the connection, right? So there's that, I like what you said about just a relaxation in your nervous system. It's amazing even just in the kinds of work I do when people do like cathartic work or even ground and center, relax their nervous system, headaches go away, irritable bowel syndrome, like stomach aches, like back pain, all these things. There's a back surgeon, David Hanscom wrote a book called Back in Control. He talks a lot about, he works himself out of back surgery. He's a back surgeon and people, he has people do emotional work first. They do like writing, uh, expressive writing and all these things. He has this program they have to go through before they get back surgery. And then he works his way out of a job because they heal their emotional pain and their back pain goes away. And a lot of surgery doesn't work. He talks about this in his book. I want to add just because because people yeah, are like, please. really? Yeah, there's books on this. Bessel's book, The Body Keeps the Score. We yep. know, and Chinese medicine talked about this for millennia, mm-hmm. that negative emotions get trapped in the body and we call this G stagnation and it leads leads to pain and disease. And this is why I like modalities like breath work sometimes I'll just to kind of move through things. I love the inner child work, meditation, EFT, all these somatic processes to kind of get this out of the body or transform it, metabolize it. And, right. And and so what is some of the things that you guys do in integral practice? So I would say Hoffman, I'll talk about both. I can talk about Hoffman and Integral Transformative Practice, which are two separate 501c3 nonprofits that I work for both. So what Hoffman has, there's a lot of tools and practices for each of four steps of what they call the cycle of transformation. We call it the cycle of transformation. The first is awareness. It's noticing what's the false self? What are the patterns? What are the admonitions? What are the self-limiting beliefs? Becoming clear on that. And then the second step is expression. So expression, there's a lot of ways to express. It's using your voice, using your body, using your intention to step out of the box of your conditioning. So often, like we learn in our families of origin or in the situations that we grew up in, certain emotions are okay. Certain emotions are unokay. Sometimes we learn that we can't be hurt. We can't feel hurt. You know, I'll give you something to cry about or big boys don't cry or whatever it is we learn. And so maybe we go straight to anger or maybe we learn that we can't be angry. And unexpressed emotion doesn't go away. It's like, I liked your chi stagnation. It's like chi stagnation. It congeals in the body, right? It's just, we have this, it takes energy. It takes energy to suppress our feelings or to continually be this false self or to, or maybe we go always into rage. And so we have patterns of emotions. So I want to be really clear. It's not that certain emotions are good and certain emotions are bad. Like, it's not like, hurt is bad or or anger is bad. Like sometimes being hurt or feeling sad is the most authentic response to a situation. Fear, the human race would not have evolved to where we are without fear. We wouldn't learn to cross the street without fear. And there's a difference between authentic hurt or authentic fear and patterns of say anxiety or patterns of depression, of telling ourselves a story like the world is 
you know, ruined or I'm, it'll never change. I'm too old. I'm too young, whatever it is, or going into depression. So becoming clear on like, what is my authentic expression? And so anyway, so, so to talk about tools and practices, there's a zillion, I punch pillows a lot. I yell, you know, off the mat so that I'm not blowing up on other people. So I'm not blowing up on the highway. We should let people know that you are a drummer and a percussionist. So I bet I that's how you get a lot of that. Uh, yeah, energy. exactly. And it's also saying it's like going limbic, you know, like we start taking on our patterns really young. It's so, you know, there's a saying, I think it's in 12 step. You can't think your way into a new way of acting, but you can act your way into a new way of thinking. It's like stepping out of the box. It's stepping out of the box of your expression. Expressive writing, really powerful. David Hanscom uh, suggests writing and then shredding it every day, like just writing expressively for 20 minutes, running, using the body, punching bags, things like that moving the energy out of your body and and really taking a stand saying no i am not these patterns you you are not your patterns you are not the strategies you learned you are not the false self you are not this persona that you constructed as a very young person to try to do the best you could at that time to navigate that situation you are so much more than your patterns you are so much more than your false self you are your own deepest wisdom you are your spiritual self connecting to who you really are and then expressing like to hell with this false self, you know, and, and finding ways to disconnect from that. And then coming to the step three is coming to a piece with the past. Um, it's fully expressing the hurt fully, you know, we have something called childhood day, we have people throw fits, like for the on behalf of their child to express the things they couldn't express as a child. And then at some point unhooking from the past, you know, I had this real moment, I did not want to forgive my dad. I am in my 20s. Actually, I, there was a series of letters I wrote back and forth to my dad. I was really wanting him to admit he was a, a crappy parent, you know, and, and we had a very contentious series of letters. And I actually at some point I had the thought, I don't want to let him off the hook. And I had the idea. I had the thought, well, who's holding the other end of the hook? Mm -hmm. Like I'm holding the hook. I'm tethered to my dad if I am needing to hold on to my anger and my resentment and my blame. And so I did the work. I really honestly let go of the resentment, the hurt. And I went to my dad, and I had a conversation with him about it. And I told him like, it's all water under the bridge. Like I, I forgive you. I, it is done. And I got a letter from him afterwards where he really owned a lot of his, what he felt were these weaknesses as a parent that he could never own. When I was coming at him, like you have to do this. He couldn't, you know, he got defensive, of course. And then when I relaxed, when I let go, when I said it's water under the bridge, it's ironic. I got the letter I wanted after I no longer wanted it, after I no longer needed it. And if I had gotten it when I wanted it, it would have just reinforced my victim story. Of course. So you've changed and there's your experience to it. And I'll share that I've seen people who they've cleared parents. So they've done a clearing with their parent, right. which peace with the past, like how you described yep. it, not to their face, just energetically in their mind, mm -hmm. rehearsed mm -hmm. it. And then all of a sudden the relationship with their parent changed. Yeah, and absolutely. again, I always say one of two things happen. Your perception of it is, so maybe it has, hasn't, but you think it has, or they really have changed, but it doesn't matter. You're enjoying the relationship. Yes. So again, this is where there's different ways to do these things, but we're seeing the shifts, the opportunities. We're seeing the change. We're seeing the shift in the fabric of our, of our lives. And right. so number one is notice, become aware. I share this with my listeners who've listened for a while. I have an approach and anytime I hear an approach, I like to see if what I observed for all the approaches I've seen out there, mm -hmm. all fit into what I call NAC. Notice, accept, choose again. Notice everything that happens, you see it through the lens of your subconscious. Don't take it personally. Don't believe in the story. Everything is neutral. They mm -hmm. give it meaning through yeah. the lens of your subconscious. So notice it, become aware. Mm -hmm. Two is surrender to what is. That's your being authentic. This is a quote from Michael Brown, um, the peace process. Yep. Rather than trying to feel better, get better at feeling. So mm -hmm. your emotion's sad feel it. And again, it's not the subconscious programming. You use the term patterning. It's not that. It's like, how do you really feel and accept it, surrender into it? And then the choose again is when that resistance is low, because when you fully become present, when you fully are yes. authentic and feel how you feel and, and surrender to accepting that that's how I feel right now, the resistance lowers, you feel relief, and now you're in choose again. So how do you want to be? Yes. You start to experience that future self as if you have that person now. You know, I would say something about that anecdote I just told about my dad. I really resonate with what you're saying. And and so me coming to a different place, me coming to a peace, choosing again, if my dad had given me the letter I wanted when I wanted it, it would have been the wrong time. And so for me, it would have reinforced my weakness. It would have reinforced that I am a victim. It would have reinforced 
you know, and so when I was actually coming from a place of, I don't need anything from you, I'm whole and complete in myself, and therefore I can connect with you, not from a need. It's the same when you talked about the boat, when you right? come to this place, what the boat, what does the boat represent? What does it mean for you? And if you fill yourself up with that first, then you may come to the idea that you don't want the boat or you don't need it. And that's the same thing with your father is you already came to that place of that mm -hmm. made peace with the past. And so whether he sent you that letter or not, didn't matter because you're already at peace. But when you got the letter, you could appreciate and enjoy it because of who you had become where you're at. And like yeah. you said, if you got the boat when you hadn't filled yourself up for what the boat represented, it wouldn't have worked anyhow because it has nothing to do with your dad or it doesn't have anything to do with the absence of the boat. It has to do with you not connecting to your authentic self. That's how I interpret it. Absolutely. And so much of what we think we want out there in the world, and again, we're not saying don't want the thing out there in the world, but so much of it we can give ourselves. So much of it of like, I love myself. I accept myself or I can cultivate these things within myself. And so then when we're not coming from the need it from the outside, we're in such a better place to manifest it, attract it. I forget the word you use, but yeah, manifest it, create it. Yeah. Co-create create it. it. We're and, in a place where we can create it. Yeah. You're in the allowing receptivity. Things start to flow. You get some synchronicity. So we got notice, express emotions, peace with the past. And what's number four? Number four is new ways of being. And the new ways of being aren't really so new there it's really about being who you really are it's it's creating that separation it's unhooking from whatever it is the patterns of the past this false self that i constructed my resentments my anger my blame by the way i'm by no stretch suggesting i've done all of this perfectly in the world but i've made some progress and um letting go and then who am i really how do i really want to show up who is this person what am i really about and so it, it's about yeah connecting to my love my light my authenticity and bringing that to the world so it can be like how how can i be have the most joy in my life how can i connect with authenticity how can i be a blessing to the lives i touch and come from that place of desire for connection from the new ways of being and we do a lot of this through visualization in hoffman you know like where i was coming from pattern where i was coming from the false self where i was coming from trying to be good enough same situation how do I come from spirit? How do I come from authenticity? And it's and really by doing the steps, the awareness, the really connecting. How did I learn this? This isn't who I want to be. Really connecting to our intention, really expressing. There's sort of this idea like I should forgive and be loving because that's what good people do. And so we tell ourselves it doesn't, you know, we really have to know what we're forgiving and, and to fully give ourselves permission to get angry first as a step. Like punch the pillow, say, you know, use all curse, whatever it is, really allow that expression, clearing out the pipes so the chi can flow. And then at some point, letting go of things that we're holding against ourselves. And it's not a spin campaign. It's not a spin campaign to say, I forgive you. Therefore, the things that you did don't matter. It's not to condone the acts. It's not to not take responsibility for my life. You know, I had a lot of resistance to the idea of self-compassion. Because I thought, well, if I'm self-compassionate, I'm not going to berate myself into being a better person. You know, I was being driven by this shame by like, mm -hmm. you better get it, do this thing, you know? And I thought, well, if I let myself be okay, just the way I am, why wouldn't I just sit on the couch and eat Haagen-Dazs and watch reruns? And what I actually found was the opposite was really true. It's like when I came to a yeah. place of self-compassion, I can actually own my foibles and flaws much better than I did before. And I can do things like I can apologize. I can recognize I'm wrong. I can notice my weaknesses and I'll be like, okay, I have a lot of patterns. I have a lot of foibles and flaws and I can hold myself in love and do the best I can and take each step. It's neat what you've shared because it's been my experience and observation of others doing this kind of work is when you have that self-love and care how you feel, it's like you said, it's counterintuitive. You think you would not want to grow anymore and be of service, but it's quite the opposite. It happens naturally. And it reminds me of when you use the example of the Big Bang and expands. Mm -hmm. so we can, if we're connecting to that big consciousness, it wants to expand. It wants evolution. It wants growth. So the more you connect to your beingness, mm -hmm. you are going to want to continue to grow because that is in your DNA, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And people just feel like sharing and giving. They, that's why I think it will help heal the world as we become more awake and conscious because you don't want to just sit on the couch. Some days you do, but mm -hmm. for the most part, you want to contribute, but you're contributing out of a lovingness. I'm going to use mm -hmm. that word loosely versus I need to get something out of it. Right. 
It's unconditional. Yes. Other thing I want to ask you about the word forgiveness. It's neat for me. I don't know why it's a bit of a, it's not a trigger word, but forgiveness ties into like, then I've done something wrong. There's a guilt behind it. And again, this could be just semantics, but I usually use the word acceptance. To me, it has a different charge to it. If words could have charges or vibration charges mm -hmm. to it. Because if I have to forgive you, Max, it's like I'm here and you're here. I'm right. forgiving you. You've wronged me. You're the guilty. I'm the judge. I'm forgiving you. But if I can accept you for the guy who did this, it's just like, because it happened. Mm -hmm. I accept you. You know, I, I didn't like yeah. it, but I accept that's who you were and I still love you. You know, that kind of idea. Yeah. And so for me, it's just, it's, a, it's, this is a me thing. I just have found that I've never resonated with the word forgiveness so much since I've done the conscious work. Mm -hmm. And the word I use is I accept myself for the person who, I accept myself mm -hmm. for the person who thinks this way. And I can accept for other people who've done things intentionally, unintentionally, because if I can get into the acceptance, I just get into, and it's not a spiritual bypass. I'm not like, Oh, trust me, I did it at the beginning. Oh, I'm supposed to love everybody. <laughs> so, right. so it was like, I'm being spiritual, but I, it wasn't authentic. I'm talking authentic. Like I didn't like what you did, but I am in a place where I'm okay that that's what happened today. Yeah, I love I that. I, that. I will, um, I'm going to start playing with that. I'm going to start uh, using both and notice what, how they feel. Forgiveness and acceptance. Yeah, because if you came up to me and said, Lauren, you know, I forgive you for this. Depends on how whole and complete I would be. I think it could trigger me, right? Yeah, I, <laughs> I agree, actually. And I don't, by the way, when I recognize that I have done something unskillful or that I've hurt somebody or and, and I feel like I need to apologize, I don't. Oh, I'm doing it the other way. Well, there's myself and there's, but, there's but I would say, and if I, someone, I would say, sorry, if I, if I, yeah, I can say sorry. Cause I know that it will help the person. And, mm -hmm. I, and now in this, cause you know, we're all in these moments. So yeah. 15 minutes ago or call it 15 years ago, I know better. So I do better. So as soon as I am aware that I could have done it differently and I want to do it differently, then I'm very easily, I can say, sorry. Yeah. So what I was about to say is I, I actually, in that situation, if I hurt someone, I don't feel comfortable asking for forgiveness, except in very specific situations. I might in a particular context um, that's very specific, but I wouldn't typically ask for forgiveness. I would typically say, I'm sorry, I apologize. Can we talk about this? Is there something we can do? It would be typical. And the, and the other is, for example, with my dad in that story, I did not say I forgive you. It was originally, I think the first thing I said was I love you. And it actually, organically morphed to him feeling bad telling me about things he felt bad about as a dad and me saying it's all water under the bridge and it, it evolved into that being the right thing to say in that context but yeah I think I've definitely heard stories of people saying they went to their parents and said I forgive you and the parent says like what the f for you know um and my you know what teacher, I did for you yeah. who are you to forgive <laughs> right? me you know yeah well my teacher always said we did this clearing which we if yep. you can call and we never did it with the person right because the clearing is about doing it with their authentic self so mm -hmm. you don't have you can do it in your mind yep. where if you do it in person you may get ego back right. at you you know because of time i have some questions for you so i gotta okay. i want to ask you some because i really want to pick into your experience and knowledge with the work that you're doing and i think my listeners will be interested but it's a personal question that i think you said it in a different way but we're more the same than different right All, right what's going on so since i've had my journey of my greyhound basketball use that as my my mm -hmm. like I, I got awakened what i've noticed this dark soul of the night whatever you call it is that it's really uncomfortable as i become aware that i have fear i have shame and i have guilt and these programs aren't enough i thought it would be all bliss and awesomeness but i have mm -hmm. to say that this work i find often to be um, this waking up is to be not comfortable and i'm curious yeah. am i unique to that <laughs> doing it wrong or have you worked with so many people is this something that is to be expected and what can you speak on that i'll tell you i really think it's important to recognize all sides of human nature whatever you want to call it the gremlin the dark side the shadow the i mean those are different things i don't want to conflate all of those things but i think there are a lot of people out there who do the spiritual bypass they say it's all love and light and and there's a lot of stories of gurus doing really emotionally destructive things 
to their flock. There's a lot of things that like emotional manipulation, sexual manipulation. There's a lot of bad stories. And I think Christina Grote recently did an integral transformative practice. So I've, I've talked a bit more about Hoffman, but the body, mind, heart, and soul, or the what Hoffman calls the quadrinity, the really having doing your work in all these aspects, having a physical practice, like being in the body, feeling the body, somatic practice, exercise, healthy eating, uh, emotional, having healthy relationships, having, you know, having conversations, clearing emotions, expressing emotions, intellectually learning, having healthy paradigms, spiritually having a practice that's spiritual is really important to have a fully integrated integral approach. And I think sometimes people say, okay, if I'm I'm just going to be love and light, and it's it's actually I am Luke Skywalker, and I'm ignoring the Darth Vader, I think that is hugely destructive. And I think it is the cause of a lot of the issues in the world, there is so much projection in the story, we are the good people, those are the bad people, we are justified in our vindictiveness, because those people over there are doing this, like, oh, I'm the good person. And there's so much of like, if everyone would just follow our plan, everything would work on earth. And the reason it's not working is because those people over there didn't do this. And, and it's amazing how much that unconscious, unexpressed, unrecognized, we learned this is what good people do. Those are what, this is what bad people do. And that repressed self comes out in a lot of ways. And the public conversation is absolutely full of it. It's a lot of projection. And I think if we can own it, then it's not comfortable. So it's, it's not, not comfortable. so that's good because you have there's moments of feeling light and free and connected. Absolutely. You know, every time I get into these periods where feeling light, connected, feeling powerful as in as a great manifester, I'm like, I've arrived. Mm-hmm. And bang. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? And yeah. I'm back and I'm working through and using the tools. And I have to say, like I just did breath work uh, yesterday, for example. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there breathing and all of a sudden some fear and shit. And then yep. I'm just cathartic crying like a baby. It's good to get it out. This is what you're talking yeah. about. Express like punch your yes. pillows. So that is why I think it's really important to both have the cathartic side, the expressive side, the light, love and light side. You actually need both, you know, and, and to recognize, own it like, okay, I'm actually not happy to see my ex in another relationship. I'm being a little vindictive. And guess what? That's part of human nature. And I also know that when I'm holding on to my vindictiveness, I don't feel as good as when I'm on the other side and on the love and light side. So what can I do to clear my vindictiveness? And maybe it's not expressed to them and or have it leak out sideways on the freeway, but it's like, go punch a pillow, go hit a, you know, do whatever it is, but get it out and actually like own your aggression. We have an amygdala, we have a limbic system and actually let it like clear the pipes out and then move on. So that's why like the sequencing is really important. You know, the the expression moving into whatever it is, compassion, love, light, those things, but, but recognizing all sides of our nature, not pretending we don't have a limbic system, not pretending someone used the phrase, our, uh, what is the phrase, our new year's resolution self. Like we want to just pretend, oh no, I'm this person, you know, and this is what we want to project to the world. And it's bullshit. And People who don't own it, it leaks out sideways. So it's about being authentic and authentic, authentic can be, you can be angry, you can be sad and you have tools. And so I want to lead people to a couple of resources. And you mentioned um, in passing there, Christina Grote, who I'm grateful yep. for because she introduced us. She is episode 29. Her episode is called I'm Unlocking Extraordinary Capacities. And so that's episode 29 in the Conscious Fertility Podcast. And we got with us here today, Max Gensland, and I want you to know that there's a couple of ways to find him. We'll put in the show notes, but do you want to kind of share a little bit how they find you through Eslin Hoffman and the ITP sites, just so they can find out where these tools are to help them tap into this kind of work, to help them tap into their authentic self so they can experience more joy in their life by working through their shadow side, as well as they create and manifest what they want in this world. Sure. So there's the Hoffman Institute, hoffmaninstitute.org. There's Integral Transformative Practice or ITP, itp itp-international.org. And there's the Esalen Institute in Big Sur, esalen.org. And all of these offer programs that are transformative. And mostly what I, I discussed in this was largely Hoffman. I think Christina speaks a lot about ITP. And I would just say, find authentic paths, find tools, and they can connect with me uh, through website, um, max at hoffmaninstitute.org. 
max at hoffmaninstitute.org. That's your, um, what, that's your email. That's a Hoffman email. Yeah. Okay. And then do you have, is there IG, Facebook, anything else that you, you don't have to share, but do you want, is there a way? Um, I do actually you? pretty regularly on IG, I lead little practices. There's, okay. um, and so at Hoffman process, it's Instagram. Hoffman process is the name of it. All one word Hoffman process. Okay. It's like pound Hoffman process or whatever. Max, we're going to talk again. Cause there's so much I want to, I want to ask you. And, and again, we just touched the, the surface here, but I'm hoping with our, our listeners that the resources of anything from this talk, it's the tools. You use the word tools and that's what it is to me. These are, these aren't dogmas. These aren't religions. These are tools, which I feel help you build emotional resilience and confidence to deal with this world life situations. And, and the more tools I have, so I keep learning, the more tools is just something I keep pulling out of my toolbox that I'm going to use for this situation. And that's why I, I develop the confidence because I just know I don't have to control the outcome mm-hmm. because I know I got tools to help me deal with the outcome and that allows me to be more present. And I, I think that's kind of been your experience because reading your bio and what you've done, you have accumulated a lot of tools in your life. And life is a practice and enjoying practice for its own sake, as George Leonard used to say, and not turning ourselves into an endless fix it project, but noticing that what we come up with, it's like going to the gym. You know, when we go to the gym, we're actually tearing down muscles when we're lifting weights and then they, they heal. And when they heal, they heal back stronger. And so it's about experiencing life healing, using our tools, showing up, having our own backs. Thank you, Warren. It was wonderful to meet you. and 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 thank you, Max. If you're looking for support to grow your family, contact AccuBalance Wellness Center. At AccuBalance, they help you reach your peak fertility potential through their integrative approach, using low-level laser therapy, fertility acupuncture, and naturopathic medicine. Download the AccuBalance Fertility Diet and Dr. Brown's video for mastering manifestation and clearing subconscious blocks. Go to AccuBalance.ca. That's A-C-U-Balance.ca. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Conscious Fertility, the show that helps you receive life on purpose. Please take a moment to subscribe to the show and join the community of women and men on their path to peak fertility and choosing to live consciously on purpose. I would love to continue this conversation with you, so please direct message me on Instagram at Lauren Brown Official. That's Instagram, Lauren Brown Official. Or you can visit my websites, laurenbrown.com and acubalance.ca. Until the next episode, stay curious and for a few moments, bring your awareness to your heart center and breathe.